0: Iconic makeup artist, beauty industry revolutionary, entrepreneur. Bobbi Brown is all these things and so much more. Throughout her career, she has crossed paths with some of the most accomplished people at the top of their field. These conversations are a look into
1: their inspiring lives because everyone has a story. This is Long Story Short with Bobbi Brown. Today on the podcast, I have my good friend, Danny Sayo. I've known Danny for more than three years, and it always amazes me how nice, how kind, how funny, how fearless he is. He has accomplished more in his young life. He's barely over 40, and he just goes out to do something, and he does it. He wants a magazine, he figures out how to get it done. He wants a TV show, he gets it done. Now he's going into some new directions and I know he's going to get it done. So here is my conversation with Danny Sayo. I don't even know if you realize this, but you were the first story that wrote about me after I left the brand in my new in my new life. I believe that. Yeah. I and- like
0: to find out the new stories, the new the next phases, the next chapters. We've we've actually in the page this, it's our fifth anniversary right now. We've actually undiscovered or discovered. A lot of people at the beginning of something big, and then they've gone on to create, you know, they've sold them for a billion dollars, or it's created a movement, or done something amazing. So I feel like, um, I'm not taking credit, I'm just saying I feel like I have a good eye to see something like, ah, yeah, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, am, I am very grateful to have a column. I don't know if people that, you know, listen to my podcast know that I have a monthly column in uh, Naturally Danny Sayo.
0: You're also the first person to hand um, in your content. Am I? You are so on time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I am. I am always on time. The second someone gives me something, I do it.
0: I never chase anything from you guys. Really? Never. And then it's always like perfectly
1: done. Oh. Well, that's so nice. It's it's my team. I don't like do it all myself. We do it together. I'm giving kudos to the team. Yeah. No, but I mean, but (laughs) honestly, I don't know about you, but it is about the team. They don't do it. I don't do it. We do it together. It is. It's true.
0: It's true. I was doing a cookbook shoot this morning and- you know, I didn't do the recipes. I don't create the food styling. I didn't pick the props and haul in all the props. Right. I don't click the camera and do no, the focus. But you're and the
1: you're more than the creative director. You're more than that. You're
0: there's a theme. Yeah, yeah. But we all have our lanes. Right. And together, it's like we're speeding down that highway.
1: Well, you all have the lanes, but you're kind of the the final word. Like if you don't like the way something is styled or moved, you move it, and it's just tough.
0: Uh actually I'm really the dad. Really? Yeah, they're me? all they're all young, so they're all looking oh. for like approval for me. Right. Yeah. Like is this good? I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. good. That sandwich looks good.
1: Okay. <laughs> Can I have a bite? <laughs> so exactly. So you know, I I asked you this before and I mean we we actually once did a podcast that didn't get off the ground right. and you were my guest on it. So I found it really fascinating like who are you? I mean like honestly, who are you? Like you grew up in Pennsylvania.
0: Do you want my like cliff notes? Yeah, cliff notes.
1: Long story short.
0: So uh, I'm born and raised in Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, So not like anywhere like LA or New York where people think I'm from. Um, My birthday's on Earth Day. And I say that because uh, it was such an interesting holiday. I put that in air quotes holiday.
1: But it's May 4th?
0: April 22nd.
1: April 22nd is Earth Day. Okay.
0: That was my well no, who would know that yeah okay. So it's like when's Arbor Day no one knows that um, so but like on my birthday as a child you look at the newspaper watch the news and it was so about the you know the end of the world and devastation and animal cruelty that you're very idealistic and naive at age 12 and so I thought okay the world's coming to an end we're all going to die <laughs> but I was naive enough to think well I can just change that. And so that's where it all started for me as an activist. I, For my birthday that, that year, I said to my mother um, and father, I was like, I want to start an environmental organization as my gift. So they gave me some money, my birthday money, and I got seven friends who came to my birthday party and said, as my gift, you can keep your presents.
1: And wait, how old were you? Twelve. Twelve. Wow. You okay. have to
0: join this group I'm starting. And it was just a cute little kids group. And then between twelve and eighteen, that went from seven friends to become the largest nonprofit environmental organization for kids in the country. Like wow! So yeah, um, so that was a, that. That was like for me, I learned a lot about the activism, and we did you know great campaigns. And um, but I was learning unaware, by the way, that I was learning um, about business because I had to do the articles of incorporation. I had to file a five hundred one c three. I had to create a board of directors. I had to learn how to raise money. I had to you know, come up with marketing campaigns when I had no money to get attention for these causes. I had to figure out how to create a legal team when there was no money and get all these lawyers to, agree to do pro bono basis when I was like 15, 16, and 17. And um, by the time I was 18, I flunked out of high school because I was never there.
1: Hmm.
0: So I was, I was so focused on that. And it was, there was one person who told me, um, who actually encouraged me not to refocus back on my studies. And it was Deepak Chopra. I?
1: Okay, wait, wait. You just happened to meet Deepak Chopra.
0: Yeah, it wasn't like at a Sephora or okay.
1: something. Okay, like, okay. Like, Deepak? hello.
0: What are you doing here at Sephora? No. Yeah, where did you meet Deepak? Uh, it was at a conference. So obviously, by that time, I'm running, you know, a global organization. Right. Um, I get invited to speak at different conferences. There was one called the State of the World Forum, where it was like, you know, Gorbachev and Bishop Tutu and Dr. Jane Goodall. Wow. But they also wanted to pictures. A... <sighs> Oh my gosh! You know, all I remember, I don't, because I was like pre-phone. Yeah. Okay. And and I was also like, but I also remember like as if I was like the goody two shoes activist, and then I would find like all of these like teenagers were my age, you know, in Mexico who were like, and I was and I would go up to them and be, it would be like, you gotta know where a party is, right? Uh huh. And so I was like the one like. You know, doing these keynote speeches and working with Bishop Tuchu, And then like at night, I'd be like, let's get beer. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it was like a good balance, I thought. But Deepak Chopra told me, he goes, you know, it's like there's something about you that I recognize is that you figured out your dharma. And I go, I don't understand what that means. <laughs> and he goes, your dharma in life. And this is something that people with their whole life, like he would say the same thing to you, Bobby. You figured out your dharma.
1: Is that our purpose?
0: Your dharma is what is your purpose in life, Mm -hmm. your reason for being? And I said, oh, I knew exactly who I am and what I wanted to do since I was a child. And he goes, that is a special gift to get because people spend their whole life spending time and money and being frustrated and not figuring out who they are. And you know that. So don't waste your time and try to go to college. Don't waste your time and try to do well in school because you're doing it now.
1: Did you finish high school? No. Oh, man.
0: No. So, uh, but I got a... an honorary doctorate from okay. UC Berkeley.
1: Okay. Oh, that's better Ber- than the honorary doctorates I got. No. <laughs> UC Berkeley, that's so cool.
0: I uh, know. UC Berkeley School of Sciences, they gave uh, the commencement speech, and um, it, I, every joke I had, like, hmm. like, what's not, not didn't land, it like fell flat. Oh, no. To a group of scientists. Oh, gosh. It was the hardest group to well, ever give a speech I to. Bet. And then I remember at the end of it, I was like, I just failed so miserably. And someone came to me and was like, that was the best one we've ever had. <laughs> And I was that's, like, really? Uh, I was like, they were awake. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Aww. Um, So that, that's in a nutshell. So I was an activist. And then, um, you know, after high school, you know, I didn't know what to do with my life. And so um, I went and got a book deal. My first book deal with Random House. And this is where a dumb luck moment.
1: But wait, do you just like knock on the door?
0: Almost. Uh-huh. To- this is this is great for anyone because everyone thinks you need to be connected. And I say I'm from Reading, Pennsylvania, meaning like I had no in with anyone. My family was not in the business, not in the business field, not in entertainment, any of that. And um, I literally wrote a letter to Random House as if Random House was a person. I was like yeah. naive again, like, dear Random House. And I sent all of these, like, you know, clips of my work. And I said, I have this idea about writing an activism guide for teenagers and how to make a difference in the world. And so this young editor picked it out of the slush pile, you know, all the unsolicited manuscripts. And she was like, this is interesting. And they paid me $30,000 um, as an advance. And, like, at 18, you're like, "Oh my god,
1: rich. <laughs>
0: rich as could be. I used that money, rented a $500 apartment above a fire station in Washington, D.C., got myself a job as a lobbyist with an environmental nonprofit, and I was working for nothing, almost nothing. And I was working on the book um, and living off of that, figuring out sort of my next steps in life. The book was published, and it didn't sell. And I said to my book editor, I was like, what do we have to do? How do we sell it? She goes, I don't know. Get on Oprah. And um, I'm not even joking. This is my second dumb luck moment. I wrote a letter to Oprah. <laughs> and, I, and I thought in my head, it's like, OK, Oprah. And I really thought that Oprah opens her own mail. So I, um, I went to the local restaurant where they had free postcards. and I got an absolute vodka postcard and wrote in the back, Dear Oprah, I wrote this new book. You know, I'm 19 years old and you can challenge me and do whatever you want and I'll do it. Danny. And I got a call from a producer from the show who picked it up and was like, I don't, what do you mean challenge you? And I said, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever you want to make a difference in the world. The book is all about had to make a difference. Anyone can do it. And he's like, we're launching something called Oprah's Angel Network. And she wants to build a Habitat for Humanity home in every single city her show airs in. But we don't have a single person sponsor yet. We just have corporations. And so I was challenged to raise $32,500, I believe. So I couldn't use my advance (laughs) Uh, to build a home in Baltimore, Maryland. And I went on the show and shared like my eight wacky techniques that anyone could use to raise thousands of dollars with very little effort. And obviously, the book did well. Publisher was happy. Oh my
1: god, was it like New York Times bestsellers list? It was on Oprah.
0: No, um, it wasn't at that level, but you know enough to get another book deal. And this is the moment where I was still writing about activism and and um, and altruism, and I thought, you know, I don't want to be this person the rest of my life. Like I just wanted to show people once and sort of figure out my next phase. And I, and the second book was published, and a reporter from the Washington Post came to my house. And um and I made her lunch. I was like, I'll make you lunch. And it was before Whole Foods existed. Did not exist. And I said, Oh, this is organic, this and I repurposed this and I recycled that. And then I remember she kept following up with me and and wanting to go to like go shopping with me. Or, you know, just had all these questions. At one point I thought, does she really work for the Washington Post? It mm-hmm. was supposed to be like a little story. Yeah. And then one day a close friend of mine called me and says, Are you awake? Because I just picked up the paper. And I go, Why? And she goes, Oh, I should go pick up the paper. And she did the entire style section. She did the whole cover. Oh my god! And another full page on the back. And the title was something like, Is this the next Martha Storage?
1: <gasps> wow. But
0: I was not happy. Why? Because I was like, I'm a fraud. I didn't I didn't want this to be the story. I wasn't trying to be this person. I simply like just showed her what I'd like to do in my spare time. This is just who I am, but I didn't go to culinary school, design school, I'm um, a high school dropout. And I was so I was mortified. I thought I was going to get in trouble. Like from I would, who? I don't know. But like okay. you know, you're 19, 19. nineteen. You're kind of nineteen, twenty. You're like you're not exactly mature yet. And then I remember the story got picked up by the LA Times, and then like Brad Pitt's office called yeah, me.
1: Right. So all right. So you're nineteen years old. You've yeah. already Oprah, Deepak Chopra, and Brad Pitt. Okay. Tell me the Brad Pitt story. Brad, this
0: it, it's it's. So minuscule, but so monumental. And this is where I realized, like, my activism actually could be a form of lifestyle. And if I show people how to live a certain way and do something that I love to do personally, it's like, why couldn't I marry the two together? And now it's so common. I mean, our motto of the magazine is style and sustainability. But back then, you know, in the late 90s, it's like, what? Mm -hmm. Didn't make any sense. Like, no one really cared about the environment to that level. It was very scientific or political. And I was just like, make it pretty. Make things taste good. Duh. Right? Yeah, now right. it's like, of course it makes sense. Right. You know, but it didn't make any sense back then. And so Brad saw the story and was like, I could use some help. You know, it's like, do you have any ideas on like how we could be greener and better? All I did was send him in a hybrid car to a, a very big award show. And that's And it was almost like a passive suggestion. And it got so much press coverage.
1: That's crazy. Because all
0: the slubs were taking car services and limos. Right. And here he is showing up in a little, like, hybrid car. Like a weird concept car. So did
1: you not actually meet him?
0: We have never spent You've any never time. Met. So it was just, yeah. like,
1: on on the phone or email? Just or... him and his assistant. Him? Yeah.
0: So, oh, email. That's hilarious. What? As if oh, there was no
1: email back then? We were barely on okay, email fine. then. Okay. Really?
0: It was, okay. like, on, it was, like, an AOL, like, oh you gosh. know, like, chat room. <laughs> like... <laughs>
1: So is it Dial like up. home phone to home phone?
0: Yeah, her, uh, his office, okay. and, I, and I would work with them. And and that was like sort of one thing. And then I was like, wow, this one stupid little suggestion.
1: It's so cool. so much
0: attention, but also it made it relatable mm-hmm. to mass audiences. Right. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to understand how the car was made, right. but now they understood it's like, oh, that's how a car works. So that's pretty cool. And so then I started um, becoming a celebrity booker. Um, when I became a magazine editor and so I left for who so I left Washington DC and went to New York and actually worked for AOL (laughs) (laughs) for like a hot second that was the only job I've ever had in my entire life where I had like a salary like I worked for someone yeah and I worked there for a couple months and then um, I I met a woman by the name of Maria Rodale and Maria Rodale um, was the owner and her family started Rodale Publishing. They invented organic gardening. They owned Men's Health Magazine. Prevention. Prevention, Women's Health. And she says, I'm starting a magazine um, that's about organic living. You know, it's sophisticated and stylish. And I was like, that's me. And so I was the first person they hired, um, not as editor-in-chief, but just like as some yeah. bottom of the masthead, like underneath the copyright copy.
1: <laughs> what was your title?
0: I was, um, eventually when I had a title, I was editor at large. And, and I learned a lot about magazine publishing, but um, I also learned about celebrity booking. And I, there was such a weird art to that. And so I was working with all these celebrities, putting them on covers, getting them to events. That sort of just kept blowing up where I just became more and more involved, involved with pop culture. And, and that's when, you know, I sort of was figuring out – and I was editor-at-large, which was key because I wasn't getting a salary. That was my only salary job was at AOL. Wow. I still doing all my other crazy stuff. Writing more books and you know doing other projects. Um but I was like layering on my education yeah. at the same time. But those were the heydays too, I will not yeah. just side sidetrack. No, I'm sure. Like publishing back then, that was the heyday. Yeah. Yeah. We'd go to, we'd jet off to Australia just to, for the fun of it. Right.
1: And you were <laughs> probably not taking a hybrid Airplane.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like now with publishing, it's a little different. Where I'm yeah. just like, you're really getting a footlong sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to save some money, people. No.
1: <laughs> okay. So, so then, when did when did your like your empire start?
0: So, it, it's sort of the um, the first step in sort of creating like my own brand. Everything, by the way, was very organic. Right. There's never been a business plan. Um, I barely have together, a, a, you know, like a, a fi- like a team working on everything. And I kind of like it that way. The one thing I always strive for was just independence. That was more valuable to me than whatever someone could pay. But it really was – I'm trying to think. Um, I think it was the Today Show is where it all started. I feel like that Today Show starts a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I got a call at the last minute. They're like, we had a cancellation, and we'll give you a shot. And so, like, I spent, like – A day and a half, just like I wanted to do something on upcycling, like crafting. I was like really into that. No one wanted to like even touch that, and I went on and like made all these crafts and showed them like how to you know make new things out of old things. And the funny thing about the Today Show is that they actually have something called live Nielsen data. The producers and everyone can see is that in real time they can see how it's doing. Yeah, I remember they came over. They're like, "This is like what? This is rating so well. It's like what else can you do?" And it was so much work to do that, like to be spending a week doing nonstop making for five minutes of tv Mm -hmm. that i was like sure i'll do it (laughs) and i ended up doing like 50 segments wow learning more there and then and this is sort of relatable maybe um also to your world is that i got a call from hsn and they were like we need a spokesperson for a japanese skincare line
1: well you just mindy grossman just walked out really do
0: you know mindy I know Mindy. She did,
1: yeah, she was my the guest right before you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's so funny.
0: I'm glad, she, I'm glad I didn't run into her because she'd be like, "Hey, I'm at Weight Watchers." <laughs> no, it's WW. <laughs> apparently. Oh. Yeah. It's come on, come on down. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mindy. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, um, but I knew nothing about skincare, or makeup, right. or anything, and I felt kind of. At first, I was like, "Racist. <laughs> you need, Why? you need, a, you guys need an Asian person. He'll do." You're not Japanese. He'll do. You're not
1: Japanese though. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm
0: Korean. So it, was, it wasn't even the same. But I I and it actually what I learned from HSN was um is that actually being an unscripted I mean you're first of all you're you were the genius at QVC. So doing your products. So I don't even want to talk about this but like um being the one that was like so on the outside that they didn't expect this guy you know, who spoke about skincare and makeup completely from the ingredient point of view and never from like, you know, what it did for you was so different and then end selling be one of their best lines that they had. And But the biggest thing that I pulled from HSN was like, it actually is possible to do hundreds of hours of television with no script and to create content in your head. And what I mean by that is that when I do my TV show now, I have all these producers who are like, you know, Usually when we have talent, it's like we have to pr- like produce scripts or they want a prompter. And so we've never worked with someone where, you know, we just tell them like, oh, these are the five things you might want to know. And I go, got it. And they go, and they think at first when I started working with them, they thought I was just being kind of an asshole. I'm like, got it, as if I didn't listen. And then we would do the segment and they'd be like, wow, you got it. And I go, well, yeah, HSN.
1: Yeah.
0: HSN is a sponge. And HSN there's all this legal stuff you can't talk about right. or QVC. And so I'm now dealing with – I understand the FCC network rules and NBC what can't talk about. And so, like, I'm able to work around that. And that was, like, the best education I've ever gotten for television was just being forced to go in front of the camera for hundreds of hours to talk about a BB cream, which I still don't know how to use.
1: After HSM, what was your next?
0: Well, uh, well I mean, the company was building, and so I was – You know, I think there was the magazine first before the TV show. The magazine was first. And literally it was like everyone first was like, why do you want to do a print magazine?
1: When all the magazines are going out of business.
0: And I was like, well, first of all, I love print. Yeah. And second, I was like, I wanted to go the opposite direction because being an insider, I was like, I know what everyone's doing wrong, but they're forced to do it wrong because the people who have the upper hand in publishing – Believe it or not, it's not the publishing companies who make these dumb decisions. It's the distributors. Right. And they said, if you don't make the magazines lighter and more expensive, we're gonna, we're gonna cut your distribution. And so they have to do it because if it's too heavy, it costs them money to ship it all over the place. But then they want to make more money selling it. And so as a customer, you're like, I'm um, why would I pay more for a lighter magazine with less content? And then they start repurposing content and it gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And then everyone comes like, well, print is dead. No, because you're hand, you're trying to sell a ten dollar pamphlet now. It doesn't make
1: any sense. And how much is your magazine?
0: Ten dollars. Not a pamphlet.
1: Wow. Good
0: paper, all uh-huh. original content. Yeah. Sells up to 80% sell through on newsstands. We're very wow. happy with that. But this I think your your listeners would love this because what I this is one story that I want to put into a book one day is that nobody wanted to publish my magazine when I had the idea. And it's today's our five-year anniversary.
1: Yay. Happy anniversary. Thank
0: um, usually there's shots, but whatever yeah. <laughs> No. <laughs> um, and, and so I went to all the big publishing companies and there was some interest and I said, but the key thing is like, I want to own the magazine. I want to own the trademarks. I want to have editorial control. I want to own all of the copyright.
1: <laughs> but give me the money to make it.
0: Yeah. yeah kind of. Basically. Uh-huh. And, and I want to like, and I want to keep the ad revenue. <laughs> so everyone was like, no, how are we going to make money? I was like, we'll share on newsstand sales. And and so I finally found a smaller publishing company, and I was like, "Can I just ask you, like, what does it cost?" He wasn't he wasn't interested, in it. and he was like, "What does it cost to make a magazine?" He goes, "The the majority of the cost is paper. Paper is very expensive, which is why paper is so thin and cheap for most magazines. Like even like Vogue mm-hmm. is kind of finished paper yeah. now." And so I was like, "Okay, so I have to get free paper, basically, is what I'm hearing." And there was a, a company who makes the paper for, like, Harry Potter books and Tiffany and & Company. And I was doing research. And I just, like, obsessively was, like, Googling about the paper industry and, like, things they've been trying to do. And there was another magazine that around this news story they tried to partner with. And, um, and, this, and this magazine actually said, well, take your free paper, millions of dollars worth of free paper, but we're going to charge you millions of dollars more for the right to do that. And so I had a feeling that the deal didn't happen. Because, like, why would they pay mm-hmm. for the right to do that? And so I contacted the paper company through, like, uh, the contact I could find. And I was like, Do you ever do this deal? And she's like, oh, no, we still have all that paper. And I go, okay. And then I, I just had this, like, moment where I was like, should I just get in a car and show up tomorrow morning and show them the prototype and show them everything? And so I said, okay, I'm going to have the balls and do this because I don't normally do something like that. I like to have a meeting or something. And I just showed up. And I was like, hi, do you remember we spoke on the phone yesterday? <laughs> I figure, like – a small town in upstate yeah. New York mm-hmm. probably isn't going to be overwhelming in the office for people. And and she was like, I can't believe you're here. And she's like, you're the opposite of this other person. And, and then we were talking and talking. And she's like, okay, we're going to give you the paper for two issues. And so I went to back to the smaller publishing company and I said, I, I, want, I want to do the deal that I proposed. And we'll go 50-50 on everything else. But I want to own and control it and have final say. Um, and I'm going to give you free paper. And when he crunched the numbers, he was like, "We only have to sell like two percent of the copies to make money." Wow! So I was—that's cool. And I you're was, at eighty. I was able to get my deal and, and gave me the two issues to prove it could be a successful concept.
1: And and has your audience grown?
0: We've grown. We have a new partnership deal with Apple, so cool. we're on Apple News. We've got—that's a big deal. Really big. You and Oprah. Uh, <laughs> um, but with from the magazine, we also then turned it into a TV show
1: and is the TV show on NBC? NBC. And is it still going on? Yeah. Yeah. It is. Third wow. season now. Wow. So
0: we took the magazine and then I was able to go to NBC and say I want to do a show. I've always wanted I've had this idea about doing a Mr. Rogers Meets Martha Stewart show ever since I was like 10. And um and I've been pitching it forever and ever and ever and like I had all these like development deals with production companies and everyone's like, "Nah, let's do a reality show." You and your team and like, you know, and that we'd shoot a pilot. Like, okay, aren't you mad? You should say something mad. Uh, and I go, I'm mad. Like, right? like, <laughs> and then, like, I never, I always felt bad, like doing these pilots. And I'm like, this just not me. And it's like, why am I doing it? And it's like, I don't want to do this to be famous. Oh, by the way, I didn't even talk about the weird blip in my life where I was the most famous person in Korea for
1: six uh, months. Oh, I'm sure as a
0: teen pop icon. Uh, oh. And so, when you experience that level of fame, did you
1: ever meet Sai?
0: No, no. I love Psy. Oh, my gosh.
1: You you guys don't even know Psy. Of course you do. What was that song? Gangnam Style. Yeah.
0: You get a Prius. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. um, No, but for this show, it's like uh, the magazine was like a show that like this is what the show looks like. Mm -hmm. And again, it was something where like I have to own the marks and control it, have final cut.
1: So you don't have an agent?
0: No. Okay. No, I was actually. I've never had one either. I was with a big agency.
1: And they did nothing.
0: And, like, I remember when I, was, I called them to let them go, um, like, they, they brought in, like, one of the partners as if that would scare me. Eh. But it actually ended up doing – it's, like, getting me, like, blacklisted.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> oh. But
0: it, you don't need them. You no. don't need them. You didn't no. need them.
1: No. I always thought someone would call me with some interesting opportunity, but I always just find these weird, interesting opportunities.
0: It has – it almost is better that way. Yeah. You know, where it just – your intuition is probably your best tool that you have.
1: And then what about your products? Because your products are in many stores Home Goods. Home Goods, right. Home Home Goods, TJ Maxx, Marshalls. Marshalls.
0: And we're developing all these other things right now. Right. So,
1: what what are your products? What do you have?
0: A lot of home products. So, all around sustainability, affordability. Um, And so, it's like cookware, bedding. Uh, We're working on some skincare right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And
1: organic, clean skincare.
0: Um, it's it's all natural, all natural, and yeah. it'll it doesn't be. doesn't have to be organic. And it'll be all clean. Made, yeah, it doesn't need to be organic. That mm-hmm. we have an, it's an unusual concept, but I'm working with a Korean team on this. I feel like they really know. Cool. What they're doing. Yeah, you know, and then like working on like maybe a possible um, apparel collection uh-huh. or something.
1: But but explain to me, since you don't have an agent, how do you get these deals? Like I, how 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 do you get the deals?
0: I just go right to the people. <laughs> You Get to a certain point, I think, Bobby, where it's like, and you know, this where it's like you've kind of proven yourself, you have enough of a track record.
1: Right.
0: And I feel like at a certain age, you kind of hit that,
1: right?
0: And so, um, and but you also, Shalom Harlow, the supermodel, words of wisdom. I'm gonna get, and actually, some of I get a lot of advice from a lot of models for some reason. But I we were standing in Starbucks getting chai lattes, and I remember the exact moment, and I was just like. I was like sort of like talking to her. It's like, I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I should do this. And she goes, Danny, let me just tell you something. There's a certain point in your life where you make enough F you money and you've got to recognize what that number is because there's a lot of power. And when someone brings you something, tells you you have to do this. You can say F you. I'm not doing it. And that kind of like stuck with me. And I'm not at that number I want to be at. But I feel like I've got enough to say no.
1: See, I would offer you different advice. And I always say, hashtag why not? Why not? But why not?
0: But when it feels wrong.
1: Oh, then you don't do it. Yeah. Unless it's really a lot of money. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It depends how much money
0: and what it is. I mean, I I turned on some lucrative deals because it was like, I just didn't like the people. Right.
1: Well, that's, it's all about the people.
0: And it's a marriage. Yeah. Anytime you work on a new project, mm-hmm. it's a marriage. Yeah. And if you can't go into just for money. Yeah. You know, I that the activism I had as a child still is like in my core. And and when something feels wrong, I actually get really nauseous.
1: And are you still on HSN?
0: No. 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 I'm actually launching later this month or in September, mm-hmm. a new Clean Beauty Hour on Shop HQ. Okay. Which is the third channel, the third largest channel.
1: Okay. So that's and been where, fun to work Where on. is that out of?
0: Minneapolis. Oh,
1: gosh. You couldn't just go to <laughs> Pennsylvania? And I like, live 40 minutes right? away
0: from QVC. Well, then why would you do that? Because they're giving me hours of okay. program to do whatever yeah. I want.
1: Okay. Yeah. Sometimes it's good. It's like every time I write a book, I have a different publisher. Yeah. Because they get excited. Like the other ones are like, oh, well, you don't want to do that. I like that. Yeah. You should have I your think... own imprint. Oh, God. No. How exciting would that be? Do you know how I do books? I do pictures first. I go in the studio. I shoot pictures, and then I write the book. Isn't that bizarre?
0: No, it's your process.
1: Yeah, it's my process. People think I'm weird.
0: You know, it's like it's like a cookbook.
1: Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, no, you write the recipes first. You're right. Yeah, yeah, but you—that is weird.
1: Yeah, but you have a recipe person. I don't know. I mean, I know the concept, but and then I put them up on the wall, and then I could see what's missing.
0: Here's the funny thing is about, about cooking is that I actually never really cooked. Like, I don't really like to cook. I hated it. Like, you know, but I like to eat. And so for the TV show, I was forced to cook the recipes many, many times, right. you know, for the like cameras and everything. And so what people don't realize is that I was learning how to cook on TV, That's so teaching funny. myself, like having to like make, let's say I was making like a watermelon jerky, like I have to make like six times for cameras. And how do you blocking. make a
1: watermelon jerky?
0: Oh, it's easy. You need a dehydrator and, and a watermelon. Uh, yeah. And you slice it really thin and then you put a special rub on it, like a spice rub. And then it takes about 12 hours to dehydrate. And you get this chewy, sticky, amazing, meaty jerky out of it. Wow. Like zero net carbs. That's really cool. good.
1: Yeah. I'm into those zero net carbs. Um, That's why I like the almond flour and the coconut flour. Oh, yeah. I just wish there were brands, hint, hint, that you could just go buy the muffins, the cookies, the crackers, and the bread from that actually taste good.
0: Is that a hint for me? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Should I? Yeah. Am I supposed to add this to my list? Yes.
1: Because you could probably get it done.
0: Actually. um, I could
1: just wish for it and you can get it done. Maybe.
0: I was, um, and we'll have it at your hotel, right? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I was, I just got back from Ecuador and there's a a new superfood plant that is going to come to the United States that I've been learning about. It's called, you're the first person probably (gasps) to hear about this, called Chocho. Chocho. It's only grown in the very high parts of Ecuador. Beautiful purple flour. It's a regenerative crop. Super high protein bean. Keto-friendly. Almost zero net carbs. I was eating empanadas, I swear to God, oh. made out of this that I thought was flour and dough. And they're like, no, this is zero net
1: carbs. You could be the empanada king like let's do it
0: but you can use this protein flour for wow. smoothies obviously but for cookies and bread when are you, and launching pasta this? And pizza crust. Are, you
1: are you launching this or you're just or i you just, just went with the, the
0: founders of this company who are trying to bring it to the united states and i was like i didn't really believe them but i started trying it here and they went to ecuador i was like i'll come and look and then we shot the whole thing for the magazine and i was like this wow. is going to be huge
1: massive. yeah massive because if it tastes good
0: it tastes like flour, wow. It has no taste to it. That's the key thing. They found the miracle product and it's been around for over a century. So
1: a pop-up bakery yeah i will I will make my chocolate afternoon chocolate smoothies, and people could come in and get their their fix, their pizza, their whatever they really want,
0: or it's like, like a different cookies. thing every day, yeah,
1: you know, and then you sell the flour and all the stuff, yeah, I love it, yeah, okay, good. deal.
0: We're going into business.
1: So do you see that it's a trend or is it something that is, you know, sticking around people actually caring about the environment, caring about sustainability, caring about all the things that, you know, once just the hippies cared about?
0: It's a good question. Um, I don't see it as a trend. And what I I mean by that is that a trend is like the it shoe, the it bag, you know, the hot diet at the moment. It goes up. It goes down and disappears forever. What I am seeing is a cultural shift. And a cultural shift is when, you know, maybe when I started this whole movement, or I didn't start the movement. When I started, like, doing this at a young age, it was like it was hard to convince people to care about the environment. Or if you pull 10 people on the street and said, do you care about the environment? You know, maybe five people would say, of course I do. And five would say, of course I don't. It's like that's all made up. And now it's not a question of if you care. It's a question of how do you care. And that's what I call, like, the Fifty Shades of Green. So where are we on the 50 shades of green on the scale? And so for me, it'll be it'll lean more towards a dark green. And then for some people, it's a lighter green. But I think everybody wants to be aware. They want to care about their children's future. They care about their community. They also care about their diet, health, and wellness. And for me, this is the biggest sign of a cultural shift in sustainability is fast food restaurants. Of all the things I never thought – I would say fast food restaurants are actually leading the trend right now, where you have Burger King rolling out a vegan, impossible burger nationwide in stores. You have Subway coming out with like a vegan meatball sandwich. And then KFC announced today vegan fried chicken.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: What the hell is going on? It's amazing.
1: Wow. That's a that's a very interesting Vantage point. Really interesting.
0: But that's America. Yeah. Fast food is what feeds America. And if they're shifting to a plant based diet or giving those options, that tells you, and they're not doing it just blindly, like, eh, why not? Mm. They must know something. They must know something where something about maybe it's the cows are getting smarter. No.
1: <laughs> no, it's, 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 you know what? It's just, it's, it's a trend that is going to be more than a trend. Yeah. I mean, it's a cultural shift. Yeah,
0: it's a big pivot. Very
1: cool. If Danny Sale could tell everyone listening one thing that's either going to change your your day, your life, something, what would you? What's your one piece of advice? Oh
0: gosh, I have like a dumb one.
1: It's okay. It's got to be the first thing.
0: Okay, the, if you're shipping something overnight on the East Coast and you're on the East Coast and you're shipping it to someone on the East Coast, choose Ground because it still shows up overnight and it's half the price.
1: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Did you know that? No,
1: that's excellent. That's so cool. It's pretty
0: much guaranteed and you can save 50% on your shipping costs. Oh, my God, I love that. Learn more at FedEx.com. No, I'm kidding.
1: (laughs) I I love that. Well, you're not getting a FedEx uh, sponsorship for your magazine.
0: No, but that's that's something I've just known my whole life. And I knew that because I knew that from my FedEx driver – and, um, I, by the way, I learned from everyone. I yeah. talked to everyone I learned from them. And so I live like in rural New Jersey. And so I, and so the FedEx driver, I, I said to him, he showed up one day when I was home and I was like, listen, just so you know, like the, the, uh, maybe I shouldn't announce this on your podcast, but like the basement door is always unlocked. And so if you ever just <laughs> want to come in and use the bathroom and have a glass of water, you're welcome to. And I guess that's like a big deal.
1: Let's maybe not have <laughs> that because maybe there's some like murder robber that's going to look up Danny Sayo. And go to your house. But you should not. Well, first of all.
0: I'm so trusting you people. I know,
1: but hide a key. Tell them where to go. Or it's a guy. Just tell them to pee in the woods.
0: No, no, no. I just, I, but the point is he was, he, he started telling <laughs> yeah, me things. Okay. He's like, by the way, it's like I know you ship a lot of things overnight to New York. And it's like you're wasting so much money.
1: It's <gasps> so nice of him.
0: So just ship it ground. It's guaranteed to get
1: wow, there. I'm going to talk to my lady. She comes every day. She never told me that. I
0: wish I had a more um, like Oprah-like piece of advice I know what
1: you would tell people well, and what do you think people learn from listening to you
0: I, I do think the number one question I get is like you know how do I I'm interested in doing something like you're doing not the exact same thing but like I want to like you know be my own boss I want to create a company I want to be an entrepreneur I want to like take my passion and turn how do I do that and my number one piece of advice is don't take on a partner right away Everyone, I this is the biggest mistake people make is that they feel like if I bring on someone else with me to join me on my on my you know my journey and my dream, help my dream happen. It's like then it's like I'm only responsible for half the work. It's like I've got someone to support me. I can support them. We can do this together. What always happens is the person who initiates it and creates it and has that dream basically is now just dragging dead weight all along, and you've given up fifty percent.
1: Yeah, but they also need an idea. You know, when people yeah. come to me and say. I want to launch my own thing. And I'm like, great. And then what is there, it? there's no conversation. We're done. Yeah. I want to be an entrepreneur. Okay. The only way to do it is to actually just do it.
0: You have to have an aha.
1: Yeah. And just do it. And so what if it doesn't work out? Yeah. Do something else.
0: Or they see, like they read a story about someone who created, let's say, you know, this amazing, you know, makeup brand. They sell it for a billion dollars, you And they go, I want to do that. I'll create a makeup brand and sell it for a billion dollars.
1: There's a makeup brand created every single day. It's unbelievable what this market is, ha- is.
0: That's not how they're, they're that's not how they're created to be successful. No,
1: though. no, but there's opportunity out there.
0: What's the story? Who's the founder? What's the point the passion? of difference? Yeah,
1: yeah, but that's a whole another podcast.
0: You know, your your whole intent can't be to get rich.
1: Yeah, no, and you have to keep doing it even if it's not easy. Yep. got to keep doing it.
0: Why am I telling you that? <laughs>
1: Just having a discussion, but I'm I'm telling I'm,
0: Bobby out about the makeup industry. Oh
1: uh, no, but but you honestly. Know, Bobby,
0: you gotta create a successful makeup brand.
1: No, but you have a <laughs> TV show and a magazine and brand and products, and I just think it's really amazing. And and you don't and you do it all yourself and you do it your way. Yeah. And you know, I just remember even when you gave me that luncheon and you had all these brands and cool people, and people would have like literally done anything for you and given anything for you. Because they just like you. You're like likable.
0: You, being a good person yeah. and trustworthy, is goes a long way. You know, and and being true to your word and sticking yeah. to your word and
1: helps true to you. yourself.
0: Yeah, but also knowing when to say no. Yeah, and definitely knowing when to pick your battles. And that's something where when you when I say pick your battles, it doesn't mean it's like I choose to battle right now. It's like when I say pick your battles, it's like once every couple of years. Right. Yeah. something is really off and it's like okay
1: and you've got a shift yeah yeah
0: the pivot has to happen
1: so there's so much more to your story that's not been written yet oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but i want to i want people out there to know where they could find you so you can you give them all your handles
0: uh okay on instagram and everything danny d a n n y s e o m a g mag um TV show is Saturday mornings on NBC at 1130, and the magazine's on newsstands, naturally. You can find it everywhere. read Bobby's column right now, her seven rules to be successful in the current issue, which I love. We haven't discussed what your winter one will be, probably shopping for a holiday. All makes right. sense. All right,
1: sounds good. Well, I guess the last one I did, which was- Affordable. Affordable. We Let's... actually brought it to justbobby.com, and it was our highest performing. Really? Yeah. Yay. Yeah, people like to get a bargain.
0: I thought the next one we would just go crazy and go, what, what, what are your splurges? Indulges, yeah. You know? All right.
1: I'll, I'll get on that. I like that. It's
0: like, that yeah. could be a lot or of fun. Or
1: high, low of each. Like, you know.
0: No, yeah, I, I say just go just for go it. Just go for it, okay.
1: You know. Yeah, okay, why not? So, I can't wait to see what's next. I can't wait to keep doing stuff with you. And I'm really proud and happy to say you're my friend. Oh, me too. Yeah. I reciprocate oh. that. That was my conversation with the Energizer Bunny, Danny Sayo. I love listening to him and I could talk to him for hours and hours. And that's it for this episode of long story short. If you like the show, tell a friend also rate and review the show in Apple podcasts. If you have any questions for me, email them to ask Brown at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at just Bobby Brown. And let me know who you'd like me to interview anything else you want to see. Thanks for listening. This is Long Story Short with Bobby Brown, a Gallery and Media Group production.